0: Really, the only step you can control is the noticing mm-hmm. and then not judging it. And then the more you notice, the more you notice, and the more you can step toward what it is that feels good and, like you said, elevates you rather than what punishes you or puts you down or makes you feel worse. Uh.
1: Hello, and welcome to Self Talk. I'm Rachel Astarte. Debbie Emick is a co-creator and blogger at GoBucketYourself.com. She is the co-host of the One Life Live It podcast, and she's author of The Other Side of Perfect, which is a book she wrote about overcoming chronic illness. Debbie, thank you for being on Self Talk.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Rachel. I appreciate it. It is uh, completely my pleasure. <laughs> It's good to have you here.
1: So let's jump right in. Tell me and all of us a little bit about your book and uh, how you found yourself on this journey.
0: Sure. So um, about 10 years ago, I started uh, navigating the waters of discovering and being diagnosed with autoimmune disease. Um, For anyone that's on that path, uh, they know that like once there's one diagnosis, it's just a snowball effect sort of, Mm. of consecutive diagnosis. And, um, I would say that at first, you know, not knowing anything else, I, I went to doctors. I took a lot of prescription medications. I just trusted what I heard and what I was told in appointments. Um, but I found myself it in a place where i was taking like nine prescription pills a day three times a day um and feeling worse than when i started and so um i i luckily had a nudge to to shift to some other doctors and then started to realize that i I could also control my health and my life, um, through other means. So, so I started doing what I can now say are sort of like superficial healing, um, things, which may not be easy for a lot of people, but they were simple, like eliminating certain foods that were inflammatory or I was allergic to. So, you know, really working on my diet, um, working on, on my exercise. So making sure I I stayed as healthy and as fit as I could Mm -hmm. given the circumstances that I had, um, taking some supplements and working on like uh, nutrition in that way. And finally, um, after a moment with one of my doctors, I decided that if I left my job, I, I had been a teacher for about 14 years. And if I left my job, um, That I thought was pretty high stress, then that would be, you know, like the thing that would solve all of my problems. And it wasn't until after I I did that and I thought I had done everything I could to heal that I found myself in a really dark place, like the Mm -hmm. darkest I had ever been, and still in physical pain in my body. And so this book was kind of my own healing getting out of that dark place and then, um, maybe alchemizing that into a way that hopefully could benefit others as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So how did you know
1: you were ill? What started happening for you?
0: Um, I think there were probably whispers for quite a while that I ignored, but when I finally decided to seek medical help, I, um, I had, like mowed the lawn and I had so much pain in my hands and wrists and elbows and shoulders that I couldn't push a shopping cart the next day. Wow. Or um, my husband and I are are hikers. We live in Colorado and I just had this really painful um, experience coming down from a 14er that same summer where I I just could barely make it down because of pain in my hips. Um, some other stuff like that, where it was kind of like, ooh, I can't ignore this any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to the doctor because of that physical pain.
1: Mm-hmm. And they, what did they diagnose you with? Or was it just general...
0: Yeah. Yeah, So eventually, um, I, I was diagnosed with something called mixed connective tissue disease. So there are certain markers in blood for autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, and mine is a combination of lupus and a a specific autoimmune disease called relapsing polychondritis that attacks cartilage and mine had attacked the cartilage in my lungs. So it had almost completely destroyed my trachea and bronchioles. So there's collapse when I was breathing. So that was kind of the first real, um, I guess like at the time, scary moment where it was like, okay, I'm either going to need medical intervention to be able to breathe. My life might not be as long or as, as high quality as I had hoped. Mm. Um, yeah, just a moment of a lot of question there. Uh, since then, uh, since I've been going, you know, I, I was most recently diagnosed with something called pulmonary hypertension, which causes heart failure eventually. Um, and so, yeah, just a list of of diagnosis that kind of um, create some fear or anxiety over what the future might look like for sure.
1: Yeah, I can see that, or, or it seems to make sense that you're living your life and all of a sudden these things that you don't quite understand are happening to your body. and then, um, And then really looking at your mortality pretty quickly, you know, right. as opposed to, oh, maybe it's arthritis, maybe it's something that, you know that we can manage and then having all these question marks around. Um, And so how did you deal with the, the fear?
0: Yeah. So at first um, I think I took it as like another way to just get better at these unconscious coping mechanisms that I had developed. So you drew Um, the connection between the two. So I think at the time I really didn't know okay. but I I was a perfectionist like a people pleaser mm-hmm. um I was really quiet and like secretive about the the health issues I was going through at first so it was like another thing to sort of hold close and keep a secret mm-hmm. and also I used these these ways to to continue to perfect myself right so controlling my diet can be really healthy uh but I, I'm sure that I overdid it and over controlled seeking my own control mm-hmm. exercise can be really healthy, but I almost did it to like a, a punishing amount, right. Where it mm-hmm. was just like, um, I overdid it. So, so I used this to like, continue to people, please, and perfect myself until that really dark moment. Um, when I, I You know, I didn't know at the time that the two were related, like my mental, emotional health and what was going on in my body. I, yeah, I couldn't make that connection. Um, I went to someone that calls herself like a chiropractor in my small community. That's like an accessible word. She's probably more of a healer. Um, she did some somatic work on me and, Mm -hmm. and that really made it clear that there was like this repressed trauma, these these repressed emotions, you know, I'm like a positive person, forgive, move on. But all of that was very superficial. Mm. And so that made it really clear that there was a connection between, um, just my personality style, my coping mechanisms, and some repressed emotions and trauma from when I was younger that I had never dealt with. And then, yeah. and then I could start making the the connection between maybe some things that were going on with my nervous system or just the mystical magical way that we are. Um, and this connection between this physical pain in my body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all connected, right? Yeah. That's how we're built. Yeah. Did you, um, in, in dealing with the past trauma, did you seek therapy? Did you just work with, with, um, holistic healers? How did you work through it?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in retrospect, it would have been wise to see a therapist that just, you can tell, I'm sure that that was not quite where I was at. Um, and so I did see, um, the chiropractor who was doing that somatic work, that like energy work with me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that got really deep, really quick. Right. Um, I also was doing a lot of reading and so I was working through shame on my own and, and mm-hmm. being more vulnerable, um, after reading Brene Brown, mm-hmm. um, I was sort of identifying my own addictions maybe, which were people pleasing and perfectionism after hearing and reading from, uh, Glennon Doyle. And then I read a book about, um, journaling to heal. And that's kind of where the book began. I was just, I just wrote it all down. You know, I just made a practice of journaling and getting it out that way. Um, and and then just being more open and vulnerable with with what I had gone through and what uh, you know where I was at and I think the combination of all of those things were therapy for me but I didn't actually see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know there are many different ways to
1: to get where you need to go. Um, so and journaling, yeah, is is immensely healing too. So that's a good segue into how the book came about tell us a little bit about the book itself. So journaling is what kind of gave birth to it and walk us through the, the highlights of, of what you cover in the book.
0: Yeah. So while I was going through this, I was really discovering that I didn't know who I was, you know, I had developed this person around uh, a persona to keep people like at arm's length. Right. Um, And and to please people. So I was the person maybe that other people wanted me to be, but when I, you know, was in this dark moment, I realized I didn't know who I was. Mm. And so this whole process was kind of just taking one step at a time to learn who I was and, and, uh, and trust my own intuition and my own inner guidance. Mm. And so, so the book kind of started that way, just, um, having these ideas and writing them down. Um, and if all the book ever did was to like help me heal so that I didn't continue these unconscious cycles with my own daughters, that was gift enough. But as I kept, yeah, as I kept working on it, I was, um, I could see the story falling into place. And so it kind of goes back, uh, into my childhood so that the reader can see kind of what happened and how I got where I was. Mm. And then it unpacks each step I took out of like trust and faith and intuition, uh, to grow and heal and get better. Right. And so, and so we end with like where I am now, which is, um, you know, I still, I have a cardiologist and a rheumatologist and a pulmonologist and I appreciate them. I'm grateful for them. I still, I have a couple of prescription meds. I, that helped me stay healthy. And so I'm okay with taking those. Um, but I also have a practice of taking care of myself mental and emotionally Mm. and doing that has really allowed the physical pain to leave my body. Mm. And, uh, it's just allowed my body to do like the slow work of healing because I've calmed my nervous system down and, And yeah. I've been able to, you know, stay in that, in that light for a while. So yeah. what, what goes into
1: your self-care for yourself and, uh, you know, to, to make sure that you have everything in alignment.
0: Yeah. So, um, I have a practice of like meditating, journaling, which for me is gratitude affirmations. So maybe seeing myself from my highest self and, mm-hmm. and writing affirmations in that way. Um, I I do, you know, I do still exercise. So I try to use exercise as like an active meditation, something that yeah. that fills me up, not something where I'm pushing so hard, I'm punishing myself. Right. Um, yeah, and I still take care of myself in, in all those other ways. Like I I do try to use food to heal. Mm-hmm. I don't use it to control anymore as often okay. as I can. And then just staying open and staying real, right? So not not letting myself slide back into those. Although that happens, right? There's some backslide, there's some regression sometimes, but Mm -hmm. doing the best I can to be open and honest and real and not, um, and not try to control my environment or other people with my perfectionism or people pleasing.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. You mentioned earlier, um, about trusting your intuition. Mm -hmm. So, and this comes up, a lot, and it's such a it's such a wonderful way to well, perhaps the only real way to negotiate the world is to trust that higher self. Um, and I don't know if you felt this, but I've certainly experienced this with patients. How do you trust your intuition when you don't know who you are? When you don't know, you know, you don't trust that that you're coming from a place of of your higher self, or maybe you're coming from the dysfunctional place and I don't, I can't even hear my intuition. What is my, you know what I mean? So how do you discern that voice in your head or, or in your body or, or around you in spirit that says, this is what Debbie needs. And you know, how do you, how do you make sense of the voice?
0: Yeah. Well, I want to affirm anyone listening and saying that like, it was not easy at all at first. It Uh, I didn't even know who I was. And then I was like piling on this shame for not knowing. Right. Right. So beating myself up again for this place I found myself in, but ultimately I think it does start with awareness, right? So whatever you have to do to get calm and become aware Mm -hmm. of, of, um, of your true self. Right. So what does that mean? What does that mean? The true
1: self. Yeah.
0: So I had to realize there was this voice Mm -hmm. that was going to take up as much space as I gave it. Mm -hmm. And so meditating, I think, uh, was a, you know, unexpected way to sort of tap in Mm -hmm. to knowing there was this deeper me beyond that voice. I existed before that voice ever told me I was bad or shameful or whatever. Right. And so So being able to first just acknowledge or recognize that as though not judging it, but just realize like, oh, there's that voice again yeah. it's showing up. Yeah. So I think that's step one. And once you can just realize that that's going on without judging it, you can detach from it. So I am not that voice in my head. I am not the pain I feel in my body. I am not the experiences I have had. I existed before all of those things, right? right. And so when you can become aware, maybe you can tap into that deeper knowing. Um, so I don't wanna be super uh, meta, but. I, It is kind of about, (laughs) (laughs) it's, it is kind of about, um being able to to be calm and centered. Like your your trust and your intuition isn't going to try to convince. It's not going to try to make you feel shame. It's not going to try, you know, it's not doing any of those things. When you're talking, it doesn't have like a high pitched uh, reactionary voice. It's okay. it's a deeper, calmer sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at first I don't know that I, I felt that I just was curious. And luckily I I had a support system that allowed me to be curious Mm -hmm. and I would just step toward my curiosity. And I mean, just for lack of a better word, it sucked sometimes. It did not feel great because I wasn't used to it. And sometimes I failed. The things I was curious about didn't turn out being something I liked or wanted to keep doing. And I had to become okay with that too. And so it was just taking one step toward a curiosity and going, oh yeah, this feels right. Or this doesn't feel right. Then taking the next step and the next step, instead of being like, ah, oh, this is, you know, where I want to be way far out, just like curious, right. just the next step, just the next thing, just the right. next one. Beautiful. And that's how
1: you own every step of the way. And and that's something that that I encountered too with, with patients is that. They don't like where they are right now. There's this ideal person out here that they want to be. Um, and, and that seems so far away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I know I don't like this. I know I should be this way. They're shooting on themselves, you know. Yeah. And um, I want to be this certain way, but I, I, it seems so alien to me. And mm-hmm. in reality, that person out there that you want to be, you already are. In many ways, it's just sort of I think of it like archaeology. We're just we're just kind of getting rid of the dirt and the muck and mining the gems and the and the artifacts of who you truly are.
0: Yeah, And, that
1: you know, the, the muck being all of the negative self-talk and the trauma and capital T or small T trauma that's allowed you to not trust yourself and not trust your voice. And I, I think you said something really helpful there, too, is. The sound of that voice, mm-hmm. when not the high pitched air, eh, you know, but, um, and also the big question to ask is is this voice, you know, is what I'm hearing serving me in any way? Is it helping mm-hmm. elevate me or is it telling me to stay small?
0: Oh, that's did you, good. Did you encounter yeah. that, do you think? Oh, yeah. And I think like once you become aware, just noticing, then you just keep noticing. Right. And I, I honestly did not realize how often that voice in my head was just cruel, Mm -hmm. you know, like a way I would never speak to someone. Yeah, exactly. And So, yeah, but I did speak to myself like that so often. So once I started to notice, then I could notice again, and then I could notice again. And at first I might be like, oh, how could you talk to yourself like that? So there's that voice again. Right. Right. And so just learning as often as I could, like really the only step you can control is the noticing. Mm-hmm. and then not judging it and then the more you notice the more you notice and the more you can step toward what it is that feels good and like you said elevates you rather than what punishes you or puts you down or makes you feel worse for sure yeah
1: yeah I, and i think there's a lot a lot there in that too that that awareness and that is the number one step and also you know to be able to be forgiving mm-hmm. with yourself as you you mentioned a couple times relapses this is a process. You know, yeah. and and we have to kind of take two steps forward and one step back for a while, do that little dance until we get to where we want to go. Mm-hmm. So um I think that's really helpful. Um so if if you don't mind bringing into um uh, I know you worked a lot with holistic healing. Um was there anything you did besides seeing this chiropractor and I, and I know meditation was helpful for you? Mm-hmm. What else did you incorporate into your healing?
0: Um, well, part of holistic healing, right, is like really um, eliminating toxic things in your life or that you put on your body or that you use in your house. So that was another one. Um, and I think that that, you know, has a deeper message, too, about like relationships and being able to create boundaries. Um kind of changing who I, I was and some of my relationships came along with me and some of them didn't. And that, yeah. that was okay too. Right. It, yeah. yeah. And so learning, learning, you know, who to surround myself with and, and who could come along with me and who it was like, you know, that served me for a while. Um, and it's not there anymore. My, uh, I mean, part of my holistic healing was like energy work. So, so working on, on my chakras, which I, I was super pragmatic before all of that started. Um, And I, I sort of went out and looked for skeptics, you know? So I was like, well, she wants to do this. And I, I I can't believe she wants to do this. And, and the people that I went to that I trusted were like, well, you've tried everything else. Why not try it? And so, so the more I went down that road and, and I could feel like the physical pain leaving my body, the more I, I was able to keep going. Mm -hmm. I would say that like in retrospect, if I were to go back 10 years, it would have been nice to have a doctor or, or someone present a couple of books to me. And one is, um, the body keeps the score by Bessel Bessel van der Kolk. And then, yeah, yeah. I I
1: think that should be required reading for everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And then I don't know. Um, you're probably familiar with when the body says no by Gabor Mate. Yeah. And I, and he's phenomenal
1: too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's such a body of research out there, right? That this mind body connection has a huge difference in our, in our health, our, our heart health, our lung health, our physical health. Um, and doctors just don't really talk about it. I I did when I had that latest diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension, I acquired a cardiologist as well. And in my first appointment with him, he wrote out a what he called a prescription. And in my mind, I was like, Oh, great. You know, I I don't want another prescription. That's not why I'm here. And, and so he wrote down four things and one was nutrition. So he, he really, uh, believes in a plant-based diet, vegan. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, most doctors don't really talk about that. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about food at all. Mm -hmm. Um, exercise. So, you know, regardless of our health, just getting up and getting our heart rate up for 30 minutes a day at whatever we can do is good for us. Um, And then he wrote a couple of things that no one else had told me I had just had to read and come up with on my own. And so he wrote love and connection. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, there's so much research out there on the long-term effects of feeling disconnected or isolated. And I, I didn't know it at the time, you know, but it's true. And so each step I took toward being my authentic self and sort of peeling back these layers of perfectionism and people pleasing, I was actually taking steps toward connecting with people Mm -hmm. that, you know, that could support that and support me. And, and that just happened, naturally by following my intuition, but what my cardiologist said really affirmed that. And the last thing he wrote was uh, mental health. And then he stopped and looked me in the eye and he said, now, I I don't just mean like go meditate or do yoga. And I was like, okay, because I had been meditating and doing yoga. And he goes, I mean, find the rug, pick it up and sweep everything out from under the rug. Mm. And And so I have to say that was a pivotal moment too, where, where I was able, it just gave me permission to keep doing the deeper work of, of things I had never dealt with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And you mentioned, um, just the importance of having a support team Mm -hmm. and connection. Um, and you know, as a, as a therapist, I have to ask, How did your family support you or were there conflicts or, you know, how did they manage while you were going through such as this, this huge ordeal and, and, and transformation?
0: Yeah, I feel very grateful for sure that, um, they came along with me. I mean, it took my own firm boundary setting and also just being honest, like I'm going to have to change and I'm, going to have a hard time doing it and I'm going to need your help doing it. Exactly. So it, it could have gone another way. Right. Like, and that probably would have been okay too. But, uh, my husband really came along with me and my daughters are as supportive as they can be, you know, but it meant like, um, when this door's closed, uh, I'm off limits unless there's like an emergency I need to yeah to work on me behind this door. Right. Or uh I need help making breakfast on these days of the week because I have these other things going on. Um And then just being really open and honest with my husband. And, and it's taken, you know, we're still getting there, but he's definitely trying to heal and grow and come along with me. And, and he understands what I'm going through and he wants, you know, he wants to support me in that. So I feel lucky. I also, I, I also had a moment of just like trust where it was like, if we can't come along this path together, then that's how it's meant to be. You know, my growth may not be his growth and vice versa. And so, yeah, but luckily it it didn't work out that way. Yeah. Everything gets put on the line because
1: this is it. This is your life and you're the only one who lives it. Did did you encounter um, their grief or fear during this process? Cause it's a scary thing if, you know, you've got a, a bunch of medical issues and you're doing your best to heal yourself, but there's no guarantee, yeah. you know, where, was there space in the family to talk about that?
0: Um, so I have to say as the mother, I may not have done the best job of that at first, mm-hmm. um, just being really quiet and private and closed off about it. Mm-hmm. Um, now it just kind of is what it is. and i and I feel really healthy. I look really healthy. I'm very active. Um, there was definitely a lot of fear at first between my husband and I. Mm-hmm. And I would say it was an obstacle that I'm so grateful for now, mm-hmm. being presented with this real moment of like, hey, your life may not go on forever. What do you really want to do with your life? Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, step one of like ah, yeah. uh, I don't think I'm living the life I want to live. And and so I was able we together my husband and I were able to use that obstacle as like a pivot point to mm-hmm. be able to design the lives that we that we want for sure. There was fear definitely. And then every once in a while it would creep back in, uh, with that final diagnosis, which I have to say is the most severe of all of them. I felt like I had been doing all of this healing. I, I I shouldn't be getting another diagnosis. Like what is happening? Mm -hmm. I don't want, you know, I don't want to be sick anymore. I, I, at first, I think sometimes sickness happens because we can't slow ourselves down Mm. and we need permission to stop. We need permission to slow down. And this sort of gives us that. And I felt like I'm doing all this real healing and I'm still getting this diagnosis. Uh, but a knowing sort of just crept in at that point that like, I'm going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. No matter what happens, Mm. it's going to be all right. And so I'm grateful for all of it. Now, you know, our life is better because of it. Our health is better because of these diagnosis and, and all of that. And, and it just is now it's just a part of our life in a way that doesn't really take over. Right. I don't yeah. identify with those illnesses anymore. Um, we know this is the way my body is and, and how I have to support it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. That was a long rabbit trail. I hope I answered your question. And you absolutely did. And, <laughs> and that, you know, because
1: it's, it's, um it's such a complex thing. And, and as you said, a, a few times, um, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, relationally or physically or, or anything like that. So part of it is that trust that, you know, and again, trusting the intuition to guide you in the right direction you know, as you said, some relationships fall away, some relationships stay, new ones come, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, and
1: that's all part of the journey. Um, Could you speak briefly about your, um, your website, go bucket com? Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of funny. Um, When I left my job, My husband and I had been like typical American, uh, we'll get a good job. We'll have good pensions. And then someday when we can retire, we'll live our life. Right. Mm -hmm. And then this illness happened and that was a big pivot point. I I mean, that was the first step in being like really honest. I had to go to him and say like, I don't even know if I'm going to live for retirement age, I don't know if I'll be alive then. I don't know what my body will be like. I don't know if I'll be able to do the things we want to do. And most importantly, I have two daughters that I would rather spend my time with right now than going off to work. And so I left my my job, and uh, we started to look for ways that we could design our life so that we weren't dependent on W two income. We we could live our lives the way we wanted, whether we wanted to work for someone else or not. And so we started investing, um, in some passive investments and, and my husband's been able to leave his job and go bucket yourself is, is kind of, it's like, you know, the dream of like, how can, how can other people learn to live their life for today and not someday? So that, that may not mean what it means to us, but just empowering other people. People to design their lives, to question their lives, to become mm-hmm. aware of what's going on and why they're doing it, and mm-hmm. then sort of guiding and helping along the way for them to be able to live their life for today and not someday. So
1: yeah, that's beautiful. And and um I think a lot of people get caught up in that in that American dream, mm-hmm. you know, as George Carlin says, you have to be asleep to believe it. Um <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> I called that. Yeah. Uh but but I love the idea of of crafting your own life and and forget what's expected of us and what society tells us and you know redefining the roles as mm-hmm. it were.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like it that you said asleep or George Carlin did, right? Because yeah. That's That's why it's called the American
1: dream. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Until you become aware of like, oh, I'm doing this because that's what everyone said I should do, or I'm doing this because I think a car will make me happy or this bigger Mm -hmm. house will make me happy. So yeah, again, it's just about the first step is awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And then if, if you really want the car and you want to work really hard to get the car, that's still your choice, right? But, Mm -hmm. but you need to be aware and know why you're making the choice and why you're doing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah couldn't have said it better myself. That's really, Ah, really beautiful. So the book is called the other side of perfect. I love the title. And I just want to thank you, Debbie Emick for being here on self talk. It's been a pleasure having you.
0: Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure for sure. I really appreciate the lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Rachel.